when you back out and you look at that base that's been formed for the last few years, you basically got to find yourself, get over 28 and obviously get over 30. 30 is the tamp down zone that they couldn't have happen, you know, the, during the beginning of the silver squeeze. Uh, and so once you get beyond 30, that that's really where the market moves. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics as we are talking silver as we come to the end of 2022 with the fascinating year that it has been in the silver market. Quite a lot of volatility, along with the other markets as well, although fortunately to dig into some of the developments that have happened in 2022, as well as some things to expect in 2023, and we'll also cover premiums the situation in India where they've been importing quite a lot of silver this year and a whole host of other topics. I am joined by James Anderson of SD Bullion, who runs his fantastic SD Bullion channel on YouTube, where really uh, one of the great sources for quite a long time of silver information. And James, as I've mentioned before, back when I was a young buck, just getting started on making silver videos, it had been years that I've been watching and learning from you. So Great to get to know you over the years and uh, great to have you on the show today. So welcome on in and how's everything going with you, my friend? Good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be back. It's been a while since I've been on Arcadia Economics. So looking forward to speaking to you and uh, having the viewers out there hear what I have to say, I suppose. Well, I think people are always excited to hear from you. It was great to have you there at Silverfest this year as well. And uh, perhaps to get started, as I mentioned, we're getting pretty close to the end of the year, shockingly enough, uh, and quite a volatile year that it has been in the silver space, up above $26 in March, then, you know, there, there are a couple people on the ledge as we got below 18 a couple of times, and curious your thoughts on the recent rally, which it's interesting that seems like for the most part we saw selling this year in response to the Fed raising interest rates. Well, they're still raising interest rates. I suppose we can see the light at the end of the tunnel to some degree, yet quite a rally uh, going from under 18, over 24 at one point. Today, as we're recording on Monday the 19th, right around $23. But are you surprised at all that we've seen such a rally even as the Fed continues to raise rates towards the end of the year here? The surprise, I mean, not technically. When you look at the chart, it just kind of looks like the easiest move is toward, back toward 26. Of course, we got to get through 24 and kind of keep climbing that wall of worry. Um, but no, not really. I mean, the U.S. dollar in terms of relative power and strength has kind of waned in the last few months, pretty much in September. So no, it's it's not all that surprising. What is kind of interesting is all this downward motion that we had this year. Now we're almost at break-even point. And I, I really on my channel I've been talking about, it'll be interesting to see how it closes in terms of silver and gold, whether or not they both can close in the positive for the year um, in terms of performance. Cause that's always a talking point. People always want to say, you know, how the precious metal did the year prior <clears throat> in terms of performance. So it would be nice to see them both end up in the green, but uh, worst case, I mean, they're not going to end up too far off where they started the year. So, and, and I think we'd spoke about it earlier in the, in the, you know, in the pre-interview we were talking about it, but, basically silver is, is working sideways, making a huge structure, a huge base. If you look at it, you backed out on that chart, for instance, the five years or whatever, you just see a huge base that's building. And, and you know, the, the quote typically that you hear is the longer the base, the bigger the move eventually. So 
when you back out and you look at that base that's been formed for the last few years, you basically got to find yourself, get over 28 and obviously get over 30. 30 is the tamp down zone that they couldn't have happen, you know, the, during the beginning of the silver squeeze. Uh, and so once you get beyond 30, that that's really where the market moves. So it's kind of one of these things where you kind of have to wait and see and let the chart tell you, let the spot price tell you, let comics tell you what the price is, as always. Uh, let the let the longs on comics hopefully eventually start overwhelming the shorts and start winning on their trades. Uh, and, and you'll get a run. I mean, silver is many times in history. Silver has had runs of years where longs have been the net winners for years running. And that's when you have those huge moves. And I expect another one coming at some point. You know, we had that long run in 2009 to 2011. There was a huge run, you know, in the late 70s, obviously, in silver. And I'm expecting another one in the future. And this one is likely going to dwarf anything that we've seen in terms of um, in terms of performance, in terms of where it can go and how silly it can get on the upside. Because, I mean, for as bad as it's been for silver bulls for the last 12 years, roughly, I mean, it's obviously we've had a couple moves there where silver was exciting and fun. But there's been some humili humiliating years of underperformance. Um, you're going to have a bunch of years of overperformance and outlandish performance. And it'll be it'll be it'll be important that people keep their head on straight and trade it correctly. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and especially with that $30 level where we saw the price get very close to $30 back in 2020, then again, broke $30 for a few hours in 2021. Interesting to imagine what could happen once we finally go over that level, and perhaps two questions here. One, why do you think $30 is that line in the sand? And then also, when I think about how we hit $50, which obviously we talk about a lot, when you, and in the process of trying to think, well, what really would be a realistic fair market value price if it weren't the current pricing mechanism or things are just tossed around in paper? I mean, we hit $50 for a couple of days back in 1980. Obviously, you had the, the changes in the rules there where you couldn't buy or open contracts. So... It's really a weird history with silverware that lasted for a couple of days. And in 2011, came down from $50 or $49 quickly, yet spent the better part of the summer in the $40 range, then went down to 15 bucks. So it's really been all over the map. I know something else you mentioned on your channel is talking about the price versus the value. So uh, perhaps a bunch of questions wrapped in there, but given all of that, and then that $30 ceiling, it feels like at times. How do people look at that? What is realistic? And how should silver be priced, do you think? Yeah, how it should be priced is a real good question. And I try and use charts sometimes. I tweeted last week a chart that I use a lot to try and understand. You know, I operate under the, under the assumption that we live in a derivative-driven pricing discovery mechanism typically. And it's really the the on the comics where 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 the price is more or less found on a day to day basis for the most part, and there are times in 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 silver where the longs really went out and they really start piling in, and I think that number thirty is a real a real concern for authorities, and it was a concern for authorities uh, last few years because they didn't want to see silver break above thirty because you get silver breaking above thirty, it can go to forty five real quick. That, that type of thing. And that that all of a sudden generates headlines and that generates even more people wanting to pile in and scalp profits. Uh, and so 30 is when you look technically on a chart, you know, that that that's um 
you look back at 2011, once it got beyond 30, it got to 50 very quickly. Uh, and I think that's what was scaring authorities at the time because, you know, price inflation was a big problem. And remember, these people at the CFTC are politically appointed. You know, they are not, uh, you know, th th these are not fair and impartial referees. They're politically appointed uh, lawyers essentially sitting there. And, um, you know, for them to come across is that they were cheerleading to keep, you know, silver under 30. Uh, that wasn't by coincidence. That's exactly what they were doing, uh, you know, in my in my opinion. So um, at some point they're going to, you know, that that fight will fail. You know, we've seen fundamentally what's happened in the last few years. You have a market that's dislocated. The price doesn't match the fundamentals and the fundamentals are winning. And so just keep just keep looking at the fundamentals and they'll eventually will win out. I know the fundamentals have been doing pretty well for, for many times where silver spot price doesn't do well. But the fundamentals this time are, are overwhelming in terms of we'll probably get into it. We, we discuss what's going on underneath the surface in the physical markets. But, um, you know, I'm I see this as a marathon. I see this as something that's inevitable. And so you just kind of have to time out and have an expectation that's not tomorrow, but in years, you know, in, in terms of years coming. Yeah, I think that is well served. And perhaps it also matters what one's perspective is. Um, I think certainly there's a case for investing in silver, although on a longer term perspective, maybe seeing it as insurance is also another way of approaching it. Um, any thoughts on the difference between those two? Because again, I think a lot of us do believe the price is going to go up yet. Is that a good way to be looking at it? Or after uh, all the years that you've been doing this and seeing the way the market reacts, are we better served looking at it more as insurance rather than a trade? What, what would you say there, James? It probably depends on your objectives, how old you are, where your life is in terms of, um, you know, what your, what your main goals on, on investing are. You know, I, I'm been overweight in silver for a long time. I've been kind of waiting to happen. And I, you know, I didn't finish the point I made earlier, but the chart I use a lot often is a chart that illustrates the silver price over the last oh, 52 years, 53 years. And it illustrates from 1970 to now the difference between what the spot price is versus what the trading that happens in the Western world and the Eastern world. And this chart to me tells me, you know, when the times are where they kind of come back into sync and then there's huge spans of time where they, where they diverge from one another. We're in one of those huge spans of times where it diverged from one another. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to when it comes back and reconverges. And when it reconverges, there's been four times throughout the last 52 years where it reconverges. And, and during those eras, looking backwards, it always made sense to take profits in anything that you were invested in silver wise. I'm not saying you sell everything, but you certainly take profits and you start moving that capital to some, some other class that you might favor at the time. So that's basically where I'm at. I'm overweight silver and I'm waiting for these, these, this uh, pricing discovery situation to kind of reconverge into some some level of sobriety and some level of truth. Um, spot silver at 24 or 23 is a clown show. It's not what silver should be worth. Uh, if we get to a, a situation where it breaks out and starts to really run, we can get to a situation where silver not only gets fair value, but also becomes overvalued. Uh, and, and that is what I'm expecting, you know. So ultimately, it's a lot higher than now, you know, the where it is now. But of course, the bottom line is let's get beyond 30 and then we'll talk again about it. Yeah, well, a few interesting things you mentioned there. Certainly, 
pro maybe not profit taking, but cashing in on some of the profits. And along with that $30 line. So one of the things that people have asked me a bit is that, all right, at a higher silver price, do we get more silver supply coming back on the market? Which I think there's a degree to which that could be the case. If some people bought silver at 25 or $30 and it gets back up to that 30 level, could you see some selling there? I think that's possible, yet you mentioned the other factor that I think of that would be happening at the same time is that once you get to 30 or above, that really could be when we see more mainstream interest come in because once the price is moving, we know how a lot of funds invest on momentum. I feel like we got a glimpse of that for a few hours on, uh, I believe it was February 1st, 2021. How do you think those two dynamics would balance? So let, let's say we have silver at 32, $35. Do you think there's going to be more people selling or would that be really the entrance to mainstream participation? I think in the low 30s, you got a lot of ETF inflows that are going to come and a lot of COMEX logs that are compiling in. You got momentum traders who will come. I mean, Paul Tudor Jones, a few years back, maybe a year and a half or so, a year ago, was on CNBC talking about if you get the Reddit crowd into commodities. And he starts talking about if the Reddit crowd starts getting into commodities like they were in the 1970s. You know, he's talking about how thin the uh, availability and the inventory of commodities are in general. Uh, he talked about the bullies uh, in the financial world. Basically, the momentum traders on comics will pile in long and they'll win out on a lot of the trading. And that will happen, I think. If you're a momentum trader on the comics, see Silver Break 30, you can bet you're going to come in and try and scalp profits up to the 40s. Uh, so what you end up seeing is kind of a run up and then a down taking profits and consolidation at a higher level. Um, so, yeah, I do think that'll happen. And in the physical investment world, you'll have some people who are, who are sick and tired of waiting and they just want to break even and get out of their investment and they'll sell back to their dealers and what have you. But on, in the end, it's really the comics that's going to dictate, you know, the quickest price moves. ETFs too, when they have to scramble for supply, that will also trigger a lot of movement too in the uh, spot prices. Uh, but on the investment side and the retail investment demand, that will change the dynamics in terms of supply and demand and the premiums and stuff like that. You will have a good amount that will come back and that'll help because it'll it'll add inventory and for, for the for the people who are trying to acquire at those prices and it'll slim premiums down and make it a little bit a little bit less of a um, of a situation where the, the, the supply is just not 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 high enough at the moment to meet demand in terms of the industry and what it can what it can supply. Uh, you know, we well of course, we'll talk about this. But last last week, I mean, the Austrian Mint, they uh, the Mint director was quoted in Reuters as saying, you know, they could sell three times as much gold coin of their Philharmonics than they currently are, you know, are able to produce at the moment. And uh, that's just, uh, it's just another example. There's just not enough capacity in our industry on a relative basis to service the amount of demand. And that's been the case for the last few years. And this is just another example of that. And this is on gold coins in the, in the EU. What I was surprised about there was, was that only a third of gold Philharmonics actually leave the EU which is interesting. Um, that means two thirds of them are staying with you know, EU citizens who are buying them and saving them themselves. So, and earlier this year, if you scroll down on that tweet, there's huge lines sitting, you know, that happened in March, you got lines just standing outside of the mint. And not all these people are buying gold. I'm sure a lot of them are also buying silver too, because they're, they're probably learning about silver through uh, various means. So the combination of the two is, is there. The evidence has been there all year. Yeah, and certainly interesting to see more gold and silver participation in Europe. So 
Um, James, along those lines, you mentioned we have the COMEX pricing and then obviously also the premiums on actual silver rather than paper. And would love to get your opinion on that because we've seen the pricing on silver eagles get pretty high with some big premiums. Interesting, we've had silver rally finally, yet silver eagles still around $36. So COMEX spot price has gone up. The premiums have come down a little bit. What are you seeing in terms of premiums? It seems like across the board premiums are down, but could you explain why that is and anything that you're seeing there and expecting going forward? So as the spot price has gone up, you know, you, you inevitably it's in a range right now. So it's obviously the lows were 17, high 17s, low 18s this year. Uh, at that point, when the lows are in like that, you have a lot of, you know, people who are coming in and buying Typically, they're not new buyers. Most of the time, people who are buying when the price is going down are people who are dollar cost averaging who bought at higher rates earlier. So you have a lot of stackers, more or less, who are trying to take advantage of the spot price dip. Uh, most of the times, in my experience in this industry, retail-wise, first-time buyers often like to buy when the price is going up. They like to feel like they're winning, and they like to buy almost on the price going up. It's almost this fear of missing out type of uh, uh, phenomenon. And then they get shrewd and they learn, oh, okay, maybe buying when the price goes down is when, when I should be buying. And, and they, they come around to doing that. Uh, so I think that's the phenomenon you're seeing here. The spot price has gone up. The regular stackers who are the consistent buyers on a you know month to month basis are maybe putting their hands off and waiting and seeing how this goes. And I think you, you know the amount of new buyers that are coming in at this price range, not that many. Well, you have to get up toward 2830 till the FOMO buyers start coming in. And uh, and then people maybe who are thinking I could get away from me, I should get some before it's it's even higher. So that's, I think, the dynamic you're looking at when you're looking at the supply side. There's a lot more products now that are coming back there. You know, it, it was a lot worse about a month ago in terms of product availability and stretched out delivery times. There still are a lot of stretched out delivery times, but it's not as acute as it was just about a month ago. Uh, the premiums on general, you know, 90 percent silver has gone down from the peak it was. American Silver Eagles, as you mentioned, across the board, even gold eagles, gold, any any other gold coin, they spiked just about a month ago. And and during the um, during the silver uh, convention that we had recently with you, we were talking about the fact that they, you know, the, the the premiums were higher at that point than they were in the 2008 financial crisis. And and to think about that, I mean, there's not even bank failure yet. I mean, we haven't had the second half of the global financial crisis finally arrive. We're still waiting for that to happen. And we're already at a place where premiums were getting above where they were in the fall 2008, which is somewhat interesting in the fact that they've gone so high with very little reasoning other than people are buying and, and, and the, the industry just flat out can't can't meet the demand. And you know, there's a confluence of reasons for that and what's going on. But I mean, the bottom line is the premiums got extremely high, higher than they were in fall 2008. So I had always, you know, I kind of cut my teeth in the fall 2008 in this industry. And I learned, you know, more or less how this works in the fall of 2008. So I had expected that we'd see another day like that. I just didn't expect it would come in such a peaceful time. I thought it would come again in, in more of a crazy time. But now it, it gives me a feeling like it's almost a cup and handle, Chris. We'll probably go down and go sideways for a while. But eventually you'll see premiums at an even worse and higher area years from now, though. Maybe maybe not next year, but maybe a few years from now we'll, we'll run into that that crazy era, era, era where you all of a sudden you find bullion prices twice the spot. 
Yeah, it's uh, interesting, like you mentioned, where we haven't seen really a 2008-like crisis. I mean, there's things happening out there which certainly don't indicate the rosiest picture going forward, um, but not an overt breakage yet. And again, Fed's still raising interest rates, so stay tuned on that one. Here I have pulled up, as you described, how did how did silver go manic two ways gradually, then exponentially. So again, uh, we shall see how that unfolds. Um, and I and I do want to talk uh, before we wrap up about what you see the the ultimate ending of this like. Although before we get to that, did have the November figures in for India's silver imports, where I believe we're already in record-setting territory. Although you see the November number substantially lower than the past couple of months. Any thoughts on India going forward? Obviously, I know you can't calculate exactly how much Indian silver demand is going to be. Do you, but do you have any thoughts on whether we'll see these any of these increased levels going forward? And I also did have someone asking, how are they actually getting their silver? And how do they actually take delivery? So the... The if we're looking at this chart in the top left here, bullion imports that um, that pink salmon colored uh, is 2022, and you can see the blue bars from 2021. They more or less mimic uh, in terms of November is not not typically a huge buying month anyway. Uh, this year is a record in terms of in the amount of ounces that India has imported. Over 300 million ounces is likely what they'll end up doing for the year 2022, and that blows away even 2015. 2015 was an era in, in silver where India bought a huge amount because the spot price had dipped so far. And a lot of Indian jewelers and people who buy supply for India, uh, they don't use a lot of hedging. They're not very sophisticated in that sense. They don't use a lot of derivatives for price hedging. So a lot of times they're, they're more or less like bullion stackers. They see the spot price fall and they want to get a lot more, lot more inventory at a lower spot. And they'll come in and buy heavily at that point. So 2015 was the old record number. And that got broke this year. And I mean, if you look at the the spot price in, in Indian rupee terms, it's it's not as if it fell to the floor as in, in 2015. It obviously went down. Uh, so you had the combination of pent up demand from COVID and, you know, where they locked down the wedding seasons for a long time. Uh, and so I think that's a combination of a few reasons why India got a lot of buying this year. You also have a lot of people in India who are big time speculators in gold and silver. And a lot of people who are speculating that silver is going to run up walls in rupee terms coming up. And I, I would agree. Um, if you look at like, for instance, a, if you can pull up somehow uh, an Indian rupee terms, uh, a yearly chart, and you can go back all throughout this full fiat currency era, what you'll see is a huge cup and handle with the potential of shooting through the roof. And that'll probably coincide with the same time when silver in spot price USD terms is getting up 30 and going higher. So yeah, the bottom line is how they import it. They import it, I think, thousand ounce bars. Then if you look, Metals Focus does a report every month that I get, you know, emailed to me. And the one that you were just showing on the screen uh, was the, the November report. But I looked at the October report in the months prior, and 50% of all the silver they were importing was coming out of London. And that's a big reason why you see the London warehouses down now at record low levels uh, in terms of all the time they've ever been reporting the amount of silver that's in London. We're at the lowest level now that we've ever been. Uh, and so, yeah, a vast majority, I mean, half of it uh, was coming out of London. But what's interesting is that in November, London was not even um, on the chart that Metals Focus 
published, it, they may be stuck in the others category or they may have just flat out told India, see you next year. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I would expect at some point that may, might become the case where they tell India, uh, no thanks, can't buy from us because we don't have any left. Um, and, you know, I mean, you're at the same situation too on comics. So you look at the registered amount of silver. Uh, I have a chart here, the registered amount from 2000. There was a long time where they didn't report the, the difference between registered and eligible comics. They started reporting it, I think, in 2000. Um, this is this is one of the lowest levels it's ever been. I mean, we're at uh, roughly 33 million ounces, but relative to the amount of eligible in a percentage basis, it's the lowest it's ever been. Um, it's extremely low. Uh, you've had eras where where registered stocks have been this low, but not eras when eligible stocks were anywhere near this high. So. Um, it's interesting. What you see is um, the registered owners are not trying to give up their silver at $24, $23 an ounce spot, essentially. Uh, people are, are, you know, they have tight hands on their silver at the moment because I think a lot of people are looking out next few years thinking, uh, yeah, I'll sell the silver when it gets to 35 40 maybe higher. Well, yeah, it has been quite a steep fall that we've seen here uh, from back to 150 million ounces during the silver squeeze weekend and Certainly something I know you've been keeping an eye on as well. Seems like it's flattened out a little bit over the last month or two. Um, but as you point out, under 34 million ounces, not the lowest it's ever been, but pretty close to a couple other periods such as 2011 and 2016. And James, perhaps the last question for you today how do you see this all playing out? I know there's a bunch of different schools of thoughts. Um, some people thinking that, all right, the Fed's going to start pivoting at some point, whether it's 2023, which I think is certainly possible. I mean, it was interesting in Jerome Powell's press conference last week. I mean, they do talk about, well, you know, in 2024, when rates come back down. So it wasn't like they were saying, hey, we're going to keep going and three years out, you know, interest rates are going to be 9% to beat inflation as much as they're not encouraging the pivot talk i mean even they were talking about maybe not next year but rates coming down at some point so is it something where you see eventually the fed starts printing again and that just changes the economic financial system as we know it or do you think it's going to be a matter of one of these exchanges runs out of metal and there's an actual shortage of silver or what we go five or 10 years out. What do you think is the most likely ending to this story? So in terms of the relative basis on the U.S. dollar, the fiat Federal Reserve note, it's been in a relative bull market for a long time now. Uh, it's been pretty strong. And even in that, you know, gold has hit a nominal record price high. Not, not the last few years it's hit. Uh, Silver has obviously done pretty well the last few years, even in the dollar bull market. Uh, and so I'm looking for the structural dollar bear market coming up. And I think that that's what the government of the federal, you know, the Federal Reserve is doing the work, essentially, and the U.S. Treasury is going to do the work to ease the debt load that the United States has, to ease the unfunded liability uh, situation that they have. It's untenable in terms of, uh, at the moment, in terms of how, how difficult it will be to meet the promises that they, we, we never saved for. And so the easiest valve, typically, historically, has always been to devalue the currency. So the question is, how is it going to be done? Slow and steady, like it's been doing of late, uh, where they tell us, you know, the inflation rate 7%. We all know it's probably 10 to 12. Uh, you know, and you do that for long enough, you know, that helps ease the burden a bit. 
but at some point the the valuation will become worse i think it'll get to to higher levels uh, down the line we're in a structural inflationary regime i think i think things changed after COVID. i think that was that was the big the big switching point this idea that we were in a you know a forever bond bull market that lasted 40 years well you're now in a bond bear market that's going to last for a long time too and uh that's the same with a lot of things a lot of things need to be marked down from their bubble highs and uh there's going to be a lot of a lot of comeuppance in terms of bankruptcies and, and companies that just flat out are zombies that can't uh they can't meet their debt you know servicing costs etc and the u.s government's going to try and ease that by using the currency mainly that'll be the way and you know with digital technology and stuff that's coming along with the cbdc systems that are coming with the bis working on international cbdc settlements intra countries uh you know just look back for instance like 10 years ago how much the internet has changed the fact that we can do an interview like this the fact that we can talk around the world live very quickly and upload this and People can look at it on their phones. And 10 years ago, not a chance, man. Your, your phone, you know, Twitter was a joke. It was, it, it's not even the speed, the amount of change in 10 years. You know, looking backwards, it's it's obvious that it happened very quickly and it's changed dramatically the way we do things. I think you look out 10 years from now, it's the same situation. The situation in terms of the structural way that we, you know, save, for, that governments are saving their reserves, that's going to change a lot. The way that governments, you know, they don't necessarily have all USD. Not everything's priced in USD. USD eventually goes into a bear market like the the British pound did, you know, back in the 70s. And, and then we'll have a high inflationary regime and that will hopefully help ease the debt burden that we have. You're going to have a situation where stipends will probably be handed out through CBDC systems. Uh, that way people aren't rioting in the streets, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, hopefully they can keep control. It doesn't get out of hand. It doesn't go into some hyperinflation nightmare like a lot of people fear could happen. Uh, my hope is it's just a huge secular inflationary regime that we're staring at and that we have to live through and, and make through. And yeah, I mean, silver in the end, ultimately, I think silver is worth a lot more than what it is now. And as time goes along, as price of silver continues to rise and eventually gets beyond its $50 an ounce ancient low level that it's, it's uh, you know, nominal price high. You know, I, I still think triple digit silver is eventual. It's an eventual eventuality. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, that, that we're going through some hyperinflation nightmare. It doesn't mean that your rent is now five times what it is today. Uh, your rent maybe maybe is up a little bit, but it didn't even come, go up nearly as much as silver did in terms of price. And so in that arbitrage, you know, you take profits and you move into something else or what have you. But yeah, I'm not I'm not thinking that it's doom and gloom, but I do think that uh, the value of silver, the value of commodities are going to become a lot higher in this 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 coming as those, as this decade plays out into the next. You have a chance for silver to go into a, you know, an all timer. I'm talking about an all time bull market where it absolutely goes nutty uh, and where it makes the late 70s look like a like a like a, I mean, it'll make it look like tiddlywinks in terms of where it can go. And so, yeah, I, I'm still mega bullish just with with a lot of patience attached. That's that's mainly how I'm looking at it. Well, I hear you. And interesting, you mentioned the dollar there. And taking a look back, you see back in 2010, 2011, when they were ramping up QE2 and all that, back around the 75 level. So had had gotten uh, above 110, now at 104 today. And you look at what's actually happened since 2010, 2011. I mean, we'd already blown past the 900 billion on the Fed's balance sheet up to about 2 trillion and 
despite the massive quantitative tightening that's going on now. Uh, quite a divergence and uh, appreciate you laying out how you see some of this stuff ultimately playing out. So not the easiest of times for people to know what to do, especially when you see all these factors here. So again, uh, just appreciate everything you're sharing there, James. And perhaps before we wrap up, can you just let folks know where they can find you and the research that you do and all the things that you share? Sure. So I work with sdboying.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is at James Henry and. And then I do a weekly wrap up video typically for SD Bullying on the YouTube channel. So SD Bullying YouTube channel is where you'd find my weekly wrap ups. I typically print them and make them go live on the end of Friday at the, around 7 8 p.m. Eastern time. And so on a weekly basis, uh, I, print, I, I, I publish that. So if you want to just get a 10 to 15 minute synopsis on what I thought throughout the week is probably the most important stuff to be reporting on. That's typically where you'll find it. So if you're someone who doesn't have all that much time and is not constantly sitting on the internet like me and you looking at silver stuff, uh, th that's a way to come and find aggregated distilled information, a lot of charts, a lot of data. Sometimes people watch it twice because it's so jam packed. You might want to press pause occasionally because charts, they tend to have a lot of information in a consolidated image. But, uh, but yeah, that's what I do for SD Bullion. So SD Bullion YouTube channel would be where you'd find me. Well, James, I sure appreciate that. Appreciate all the knowledge that you have shared throughout the years. As I mentioned earlier, back when I was getting started doing this, uh, been watching your videos for a long time. So we'll have the link to your Twitter and the YouTube channel in the description field below. And just appreciate you joining me and shedding some light on what you're seeing out there and letting folks know what's going on. So thanks again. And we'll have to do this again soon, my friend. Yeah, sounds good, Chris. Always good to be with you. Well, thank you again to James. Always a pleasure to have him on the show and certainly one of the people who's been doing this for an incredibly long time that I'm grateful to have learned from. And I know many of you watching today feel the same way. So James Anderson of SD Bullion. And before we wrap up, I'd also like to pass along a quick note here. We're two recent First Majestic silver transactions. Back on December 7th, First Majestic announced the sale of the La Paleria silver mine for $33.5 million to Golden Tag Resources, where First Majestic and their shareholders will end up owning 40% of the outstanding shares of Golden Tag, so still receiving exposure to the La Paleria silver mine asset. And just a couple of weeks before that, First Majestic did announce the proposed sale of a royalty portfolio for $20 million to Metalla Royalty and Streaming. Similarly, in this deal, First Majestic shareholders will retain a consideration in Metalla, so still getting exposure to these assets. And you can find out more about these by going to firstmajesticsilver.com. Link to that is in the description field below. And again, hope you enjoyed today's show and look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Mm -hmm.